Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on January the 12th, 2011. Newcomers to the show, I always suggest you look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and you'll find hundreds of audios for download on there. And I try and show you the shortcuts to the big picture, the big system which runs the world, how it's run, where they're going with it, and how old this, this agenda is. It's very, very old. It's a planned society we're going into. There's a lot of it's already accomplished, in fact, because generations have been trained already and have left school, uh, thinking that uh, privacy is a crazy thing to have, and they're addicted to all their electronic gadgetry, thinking it's all quite natural. It's all supplied by do-gooders for them to just be happy with. And as long as they get these things supplied to them and they can go off into the Ethernet, uh, a lot can be done to them. A lot can be taken away from them, and they won't mind so much. So I show you the the big plan towards a, a socialist world government um, run again by the very rich people of the planet and how it's done and the big associations that work together to make it so. The parallel government, as Professor Carl Quigley called it. And remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you, so don't forget to buy the books and discs I have for sale, ordinate on the, and you'll find out how to do so on the website cuttingthroughmatrix.com. From the U.S. to Canada, remember, personal check is good, as is an international postal money order from your post office. Some people send cash, and others use PayPal. And if you want to order a book or anything through PayPal, just uh, use the donation button and appropriate donation and followed by an email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you as fast as I can. Across the world, same idea. Western Union, of course, is a direct wire transfer. Some people use that. It's kind of expensive. MoneyGram can do the same thing. MoneyGram can also give you a check, which you post off. So that'll take a week to get here if you've got the patience, and that works fine too. Some people send cash, and again, use PayPal to order uh, through the donation button. And remember, too, that you can also donate and expect nothing back except the hundreds of audios that are already up on the site, which you can download for free, and I think everybody does. So that's really the big picture, as I say. The world we're, we're going through right now, the big changes between two ages, as Brzezinski aptly called it, it is a change, a complete, utter change in societies across the whole world into a common global uh, uh, system with a common agenda and a common culture eventually at the very, very end of it, uh, somehow working out, uh, which, of course, will make it easier for those in control to manage the whole planet and everyone in it. And that's why we're all being trained. That's why we were given the Internet, by the way, not because uh, they wanted to make, keep us happy and entertained, but to make sure that they know every single thing about you and they update that on a daily basis. And everyone really does. Most folk put all their information up there. And it's kind of silly when people phone in and say, uh, could you be working for the side collecting data on us? How many people are they emailing to every day? 
with all their ideas and thoughts and so on. They already know everything about you. They don't need me to do it, or anyone else for, for that matter. All they need is you. And people are so willing to just give up that information, and it, it's astonishing to me how they've already been trained. And of course they think, too, well, no one's really looking at me, I'm not so important, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I follow the rules, whatever the rules are, and as they update the rules, I follow the updates. But that's not the point, you see, anyone can be unpredictable. Anybody out there, as far as you're concerned at the top, when you go through all the masses of and piles of paper from their psychological reviews, they don't trust anybody. And that's why they've got to keep on monitoring you and everybody else on the planet. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. Every once in a while I like to look at the, the movies I've seen before, uh, the ones that have some relevant pieces in them, even though they always distort the overall picture, never give you the complete truth. And it's a sad thing that most folk today get their history from Hollywood, which is uh, really fictitious in many ways. It changes and spins things. And Gangs of New York was a, is a good movie to watch. I've watched it quite a few times and it shows you a sort of microcosm of society in the movie where gangs fight for control over a city, which in reality is the way things really do work. And yet those who end up in high positions in office, uh, believe you me, they're just another gang. They're the top gang, uh, unless they have one above them, which is the federal gang. And that's how things really are set up. And in the movie, at the end, they show you the two main gangs, vying for power over extortion and all the rest of it, all the rackets uh, fighting it off in the square. And uh, in comes the military because Lincoln was in at that time and um, he set the military upon the different gangs who were rampaging through the streets. And they were also rampaging for different reasons, not just the gangs. It was because all at the same time conscription came into the U.S. for the Civil War and the people didn't want it. You could get out of it, though, if you had $300. So the wealthier ones didn't have to send their sons off, and then that's always the way of it. But for the regular people, if your name came up, that was you off. And you had lots of Irish immigrants coming in at the same time, which was, again, mandated by the federal government because they wanted bodies to fill the uniforms that they'd had made up for them. And uh, they came right off the boats and got kitted up, and then often went on to another boat and went further south. It was like an assembly line, basically. But rival gangs in the middle of the city uh, sparked off at the same time because one of them was the Orange Order. It doesn't mention that in the movie, of course. And the Orange Order order was a Masonic order. It still is. And it gives, it gives um, the Queen the highest honor as the Queen of England or the, whoever is the king. It's always been that way. And that was to be the traveling lodge of the British Army. They came in even before, uh, even during the war event for independence, and they, they set up lodges everywhere that remained there. So it's interesting to see it worked out in a movie version where they managed to uh, cut out the Masonic part of it, of course. Uh, but otherwise, they do show you how the gangs work together or against each other uh, with different factions 
sometimes with, sometimes against, depending on their, their interests, and how the mayor himself, Boss Tweed, who, who was a real, the real mayor at the time, who really was the, you might say, the CEO over so many different corporations in the city. It was incredible. The guy had millions and millions of dollars in the bank when he was eventually put in prison for scamming and, uh, and skimming off the top of everything, even the Erie Canal project. But he also ran the gangs. He had them working for him too. And there's so many really true quips come out of his mouth in the movie. It's uh, astonishing because really nothing has really changed except the propaganda and the media being on board with the propaganda or even owned by those who are in power is, is better today, much, much better and continuous. We get it on a daily basis. So the propaganda overcomes what people see themselves. You, you dismiss your own perceptions, your own experiences, and a lot of folk will just believe the propaganda and go against themselves. And Boss Tweed also is a guy who, who said we can always hire half the poor to kill a, the other half in case of riots and so on. Uh, he had so many things that he said were so true, and it's still the same today. It's still the same today. When you look at the news, and believe you me, there's a, almost a, a scarcity of news right now, especially from the U.S. They, they go on and on about the shooting, of course, uh, of the, the, the government official. But they're not talking about anything else pretty well. And yet there's so much going on across the rest of the world as well. And even that is a lot of recycled news. So you have to dig in to find what's going on. Because there's meetings all over the world right now with different big international organizations that, that do work with governments. And they're set to push their, their climate change. And they've changed it from global warming to climate change. You can't lose, can you? Uh, so they're going to push the climate change even further because it's really, it's not just an ecological, it's an economic change, it's a social change, and it's, it's a eugenical change as well. The, the fact that man must reduce his numbers drastically, be put into the crowded cities uh, for the next 40 years and just bring down the population, which won't be hard since most people in the Western world, uh, youngsters, have opted not to have children now. It's, you know, you can't get out and party when you've got children and responsibilities. And that's what they've chosen. Now, at the same time, too, to bring on all the the different agendas, parts of the, the, the agendas, the sub-agendas and so on, and to bring it into fruition, you must create crisis after crisis after crisis. And that's what we've been hit with since 2001. Ongoing war. I read an article from the military called Perpetual War, read it on the air, it's in the archive section, as well worth the read, because that's what we're in now, it's perpetual war from economics and all kinds of crisis, real or unreal, doesn't matter, as long as the government takes action and social action to prevent things from happening. That's the excuse for it all. And they are rampaging ahead, I mean rampaging, in unison with the rest of the world through the United Nations. If you had even an economic crisis and a massive unemployment, why would you hit people harder and harder and harder unless you want to bring it to literally breaking point? True crisis situations. Well, they want to do that because then they can bring in all the next bunch of rules, laws, and more communitarianism where you'll end up being packed into houses like the Russians did in the Soviet era where 20 families would share uh, a small building, for instance. That is coming by that, and I'll be touching on that later. 
But here's what's happened in Britain. It says millions of hard-pressed families are being further squeezed by punishing rises in fuel bills for their heating and food prices. Their electricity in Britain now is owned by a German company thanks to the EU. It's fantastic, all this. How wonderful it was going to be, this EU, this economic union. Uh, wonderful for everybody. And just amazing to me that everybody's now bankrupt and suffering, isn't it, in every nation. But the energy giant E.ON, E.ON, Yesterday announced a price increase as experts warned that bills are set to double every five years. The German-owned supplier will put up electricity tariffs by 9% and gas by 3%, adding an average of £62 to annual dual fuel bills for 4.3 million customers. At the same time, figures from the British Retail Consortium show that food prices are continuing to rise at double the pace of wages. And that's because the big boys now, you see, are manipulating all the food prices across the world. They're, they're competing with each other or putting on the appearance of competition to drive up the, the, all our food you see is in the stock market. That's where it goes. To the highest bidder. And that's part of the agenda too, because they want to bring in rationing. There's nothing they can't make happen, you understand, when there's about 12 um, main families and maybe 50 others that throw billions across the world every single day in the stock market. They, they control it. It says this means a family spending £100 a week on food a year ago will have to find an extra £208 a year to put meals on the table. It's going to be a lot more than that. And it says the increase in the cost of living comes as the, sing- as the country struggles to emerge from recession. What a joke. How it's like the U.S. trying to get out from its incredible trillions and trillions of dollars of debt. It's impossible. Uh, this, this in Britain here, uh, it's like someone trying to come out of, of, of a lake and he's been drowning. And then uh, the heavens open up and down, a downpour comes down on you. You can't get out. So as a country struggles to emerge from recession, that's a joke. Gasoline prices are also running around 20% higher than a year ago, while rail fares leapt this month. And the pain is further complicated by the government's value-added tax increase to 20%. That's in everything you buy. 20% on top in tax. And it says, Consumers have been warned by city analysts that the energy price increases are just a taste of things to come. That's to make you feel better. Experts at Unicredit Banks. How can you have experts when they always bankrupt you and they can't get their books straight, supposedly? Said the switch to green generation, huh? The building of wind farms and nuclear power stations, as well as installation of smart meters in every home, will send bills rocketing. I thought all this was going to make it things cheaper. Of course it wasn't. Recovery, it says the British economy may be growing again. I don't know where. But people are facing a living standard squeeze, fueled by price rises and the increase of value-added tax to 20%. So they aren't going to get out of this, and it's not meant to come out. It's meant to cause crisis in every single nation. It's meant to bring the International Monetary Fund in to every single nation, and then the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund will give, and they've already said this, they're going to give special, they already are already giving special drawing rights. You, you borrow from them now, directly. Rather than going to different private bankers, you go to them directly to get your your dull money, your, your, the money that you're going to owe forever and ever with compound interest. And they run your countries. And at the same time they're doing this, of course, we're, we're seeing the environmentalist organizations, the big foundations, 
push and push with their usual junk of nonsense and lies and deceit because they can't let up now. You see, this is a vital part to bring in this new world order, this new socialist world order, where we're going to be taught from cradle to grave how to live, what to do, what should we put on first, and all the rest of it, right through your entire life. That's what it's all about, under the guise of saving the planet. And we've seen Australia, for instance, uh, being absolutely screwed, and I mean screwed, by an environmentalist. Now they've got floods there, and... I'll read this little item here. It, it explains what happened in Queensland, Australia. It says, Queen, Queensland's floods, but at least the endangered Mary River cod is safe, A. Eh? This is the endangered codfish. I'll tell you why the city's flooding. It's because of environmentalists. And I'll read this when I come back from this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, Britain cut back on, on its gravel and sanding operations because we're told by environmentalists and all the experts again that last winter was a freak winter, like a real winter, and it wouldn't happen again because the earth's warming up and warming up, so they didn't bother getting prepared and then they had to get the army in to dig towns and villages out and what a mess that was. But the same thing happened in Australia because every 30, 40 years they always have floods in this area, and that's just a cycle that goes through. But environmentalists know that's not going to happen again, because you see we're global warming, global warming, climate change. And this article here is from a blogger uh, that put it on James Dellingpole's blog, The Telegraph. It says, this is a guest post from one of the regular commentators, Memory Vault. He's understandably upset about the Australian floods, which may have claimed more than 70 lives, but what really upsets him is that this disaster could have been prevented. He blames green campaigners so wedded to their ideology, they never stopped to consider the human consequences. It's to them his bitter letter is addressed. Also says Andrew Bolt, another fellow, has similarly harsh words for Australia's econauts, were it not for the actions of environmental minister Peter Garrett, for example, the Queensland town of, of Gympie would not now be underwater. Unfortunately, Garrett took it upon himself to block the proposed dam that would have prevented it. Says Federal Environmental Minister Peter Garrett on Wednesday said he made the interim decision to reject the controversial $1.8 billion plan to dam the Mary River because evidence showed it could kill off endangered species. He made the interim decision to reject, well, even on anyway, says the project would have serious and irreversible effects on national listed species such as the Australian lungfish, the Mary River, River turtle and the Mary River cod, both of those endangered. Endangered. Here's Memory Vault's post. It's addressed to the climate trolls who haunt this blog, forever assuring us with their characteristic shrill uh, certainty that the science is now settled and that we skeptics are greedy, selfish fools. So here's the blogger. says, I'm sitting here in my home in southeast Queensland watching the news come in about the flooding everywhere. Entire suburbs around Brisbane and several smaller towns are either isolated by floodwaters or have been evacuated. Highways are cut everywhere. People have been dying. So far, about 20 people have died in the past week, nine just this morning when a deluge went through the Lockyer Valley. Most of them are children. Another 70 are missing. One could put it all down to just weather. 
except exactly the same floods occurred in exactly the same place back in 1974, with much the same tragic loss of life and destruction of property. Back then we weren't nearly as clever and learned as you think yourselves to be today. Back then we had the silly notion that climate was cyclical, and if we didn't prepare for it, we would have a repeat of the same tragedies to deal with in about 30 years. That was the thinking of the scientists back then, that climate went in roughly 30-year cycles. Flood mitigation programs were planned, a series of levee banks and diversionary dams would be built, Brisbane and South East Queensland would never suffer such a devastation again, after all with 30 years to plan and build and improve. And that's what we did, or at least started. It says, Wivenhoe Dam got built as a first step, but by the time it was finished, clever people like you lot who knew that such things were never going to happen again had taken over. That's environmentalists. CO2, EGW, madness had already taken hold. Man-made global warming is. It says, Instead, we had postmodern minds like Tim Flannery advising the government that because of anthropogenic global warming, southeast Queensland would be perpetually in drought from then on. Forget dams and flood mitigation programs, intoned the wise Dr. Tim. Build desalination plants instead, because obviously they wouldn't have any water to drink. So that's what the government did, and that's why 35 years later, we're once again suffering exactly the same tragic loss of life and destruction of property, pretty much exactly where and when and how those stupid scientists who foolishly believed climate was cyclical had predicted. Meanwhile, our billion-dollar desalination plant is quietly being mothballed, and that's what they do. They just pull things off quietly when they're wrong. That goes for everything. And emergency crews are frantically trying to work out how they might be able to save 19,000 homes from destruction in the next couple of days as the Lockyer deluge hits Brisbane. Wise Dr. Tim Flannery has been made Australian of the Year for his contributions. What an asshole, eh? I Google on the Internet for climate extremes and climate-related disasters in the 1972 to the 1979 period, the period of the last transition in the natural weather cycle, and I find that it wasn't a good period in many places around the world, record and near-record high and low temperatures, record and near-record precipitation, and so on, floods and droughts pretty much mimicking what is happening now and in pretty much the same places. I also noted that the indicators of the silly theory of the cyclical nature, ocean and atmospheric, are pretty much exactly as they are now. I have to admit it could all get a bit depressing, but then I remember that the world is in the capable hands of much cleverer people than those silly scientists back in the 70s who believed the climate was cyclical. Now the decisions that are being made by clever people like Dr. Tim Flannery. And it says, that's when I weep for my fellow man. Because it could all have been prevented. But you see, we're never going to get any rain anymore. It's global warming. We're going to be frying by now. Maybe we are frying and our perceptions haven't been all screwed up. Eh? Maybe it's our fault. And then Dalingpo goes on in Telegraph 2 with his own blog and says, Everything will be dead by tomorrow, warns the Zoological Society of London. The guys who make their money and living and their contributions flooding through all these climate disasters and vanishing species. Now it's the coral. Back with more after this break. You're listening.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. According to the, the, the Zoological Society of London, everything's, all the coral is going to die, you see. Everything's suddenly going to die. Because they, they, they count on the, the, the people who are, the people who weep easily when they see panda bears. They're throwing money at them, you see, stuff like that. That's how they get their cash. And they live very well, these characters. So the Zoological Society of London has drawn up a hit list of, a, of the ten attractive coral species most likely to die quite soon. Well, of course it has. Nothing suits the ZSL the spread of misanthropy and catastrophism better than another mournful litany of all the species loss which is bound to occur as a result of mankind's ongoing crime of having the temerity to exist. Isn't that true? Look, those of us on the other side of the argument like corals too. The difference is we see them as something to celebrate and to enjoy rather than things to be regarded solely through a prism of guilt, self-hatred and apocalyptic despair. Naturalists never used to talk this way until the Nazis, and before them the German romantics started poisoning the wells. Nature was something we could all happily appreciate without being made to feel by yet another eco-fascist that we were personally going to be the cause of his imminent, imminent demise. If the ZSL wants to make a list of pretty corals, why can't it just distribute it with the facts about their habitats and their formation, maybe with lots of nice shiny pictures for us all to wonder at? Why must they lace their message with doom and misanthropy? I suppose the excuse would be that these corals are endangered and something must be done by yesterday at the latest, but is this another of those overblown eco-panics in the manner of the floating island of plastic bags twice the size of Texas, which in fact turned out to be one one-hundredth of the size of Texas? At what's up with that? There's the most brilliant new guest post by David Middleton, which describes in much learned and carefully referenced detail why oceanic acidification is just another exercise in green junk science and why corals actually thrive with more CO2, so do vegetables and plants and trees. And Watts has run stories before about how surprisingly quickly coral reefs recover from another deadly menace, which is bleaching. This is the problem with so many green scare stories. On closer examination, they turn out to be bunk and I don't think it does the environmental cause any favor. The inevitable result is a boy who cried wolf effect. We just think eco-nuts are a bunch of hysterics, and frankly, a lot of them are. Lest you think I'm going, I'm having a gratuitous dig at a perfectly decent political neutral organization that just runs London and Whipsnade Zoo, have a look at their website, the ZSL, and this is, that's, the, that's the society is talking about, is in it up to the neck in the field of deep green propaganda, and then he gives you their website to ponder. And he gives you examples, too, of, of, of what they say with, with precision. And like this, for instance, this is from their site. Coral reefs first appeared more than 400 million years ago. And, and I, I tell you, it was at half past four in the afternoon on a Friday on, on September 27th. Just joking. We could wipe them out in a comparative heartbeat. This film shows the devastating effect of climate change on the world's incredible diverse coral reefs. It paints a disturbing picture of a world that has lost its reefs forever, our world in 2065. I mean, it's so brilliant giving these predictions of way into the future. And by that time, everyone's free. no one's going to remember what they said. But it has an impact now, you see. Because as I say, we're, we're in an age now of crisis creation, perpetual crisis, one after another, 
everything's falling down, apparently, supposedly, because they've got to get us all ready for the big, big change. It's already drafted up, and they'll unroll the screeds of papers and laws and all the rest of it and plans when it's time to do so. And we'll say, save us, save us, Master, save us. We'll be your slaves, just feed us. That's what will come. You wait and see. And you'll be amazed at all the people around you will be on their knees saying just that. And now, of course, they're saying too, after talking about running out of water, lakes are a big source of climate warming gas. That's a new study. I'm not kidding. Canada, you know, Canada thought it was going to have a walk through all this stuff because all the water we have here, there's nothing but water. Wherever you go, it's forest and water, lakes and water and forest everywhere and, and billions of mosquitoes. And it's a we thought we'd have a great time of it with the CO2 off, setting off gas, off gassing or offsets, they call them. And then the UN told us we've, we've got bad trees. Our trees are not good trees, they're bad trees. So we're going to have to pay not only the CO2 stuff, but pay for having bad trees as well. No kidding. And now we've got all this water, and we're getting told, oh, it's given off all this gas, climate warming gas study. So lakes and rivers emit far more of a powerful greenhouse gas than previously thought, counteracting the overall role of nature in soaking up climate warming gases, a study showed on Thursday. No kidding, eh? Suddenly it's reversed, eh? Just like that. It's amazing how they reverse everything in our day and age. Just suddenly, all of a sudden, one day, everything's 180 degrees opposite direction. Just like that. And never mention that all the scientists up until that day, saying the opposite, uh, are still say, are now telling you uh, the, the 180 degree re- reversal. They never say they must have been wrong. They never say that, do they? The same characters. So but a review of 474 freshwater systems indicated the emitted methane equivalent to 25% of all carbon dioxide, the main greenhouse gas blamed for stoking climate change, which is nonsense because the biggest thing in so-called greenhouse gas, which you must have for life on the planet, by the way, is water vapor evaporation. But they don't mention that here. Absorbed by the world's land areas every year. So trees and other plants absorb carbon dioxide as they grow. Methane emissions from freshwater sources were greater than expected. David Bastviken, lead author of the study at Linköping University in Sweden, told Reuters, and he's got to do this now because now he's on a roll. He's getting, getting to get grants for saying this, for more studies, you see. Methane emissions from freshwater sources were greater than expected, he says. And he says, some of the carbon that is being captured and stored by the earth will be counteracted by methane from these freshwater sources, according to the study by the experts. What are we going to do, you know? I mean, they wanted lots and lots of water. They're telling us the world's running out of water as Brisbane goes under water and drowns. They're telling us, they're still harping on when they run out of water. And then they're telling us that all the water, the fresh water we have is bad water, just like we've got bad trees in Canada. The wrong kind of trees, you see. With the wrong kind of water, I guess. That's when it costs us fortunes in personal taxes. You understand that. That's what it's all about. So emissions of methane released by decaying vegetation. I thought vegetation was good, eh? but it decays and people forget it gives off methane. Eh? And other organic matter in rivers, reservoirs, lakes and streams have not previously been properly built into models for the computers, of course, the special ones they use, used to understand global warming, Bast Vikin said. So then the other parts of the landscape led by forests should be prized more as more robust natural stores of greenhouse gases. 
So, at the end of it all, it tells you that forests are even more important. After telling you that the rotten give off this stuff, uh, methane, uh, they're even more important than ever to help offset global warming, he says. So there's your, there's your doublespeak. And maybe they got to get two grants for, for giving doublespeak. I don't know. Who knows? In this day and age, anything can happen, as we're experiencing. Hmm? Now, the next part, too, is, is also that I've mentioned before how they select little countries, sometimes islands, to do tests for the rest of the world. Sometimes they'll use part of your own country to do a test for various things for this new world order, as they call it, this, this smarter new world order, where experts can manage us from the cradle to the grave. And uh, it says here, South Korea promotes credit cards go greener. We're all animals, you understand, and we like rewards. We don't like getting punished. And so they're going to reward you uh, with, if you use your credit cards to, use, to, to buy smart green stuff. So Kim Yong-suk is an idealist who belongs, belongs to a greener lifestyle, which means walking more and wasting less. But she never dreamed that a credit card could help save the planet. No kidding, eh? The 59-year-old stay-at-home mother, I thought she walked everywhere, she stays at home, is one of the many set to take advantage of a new program in South Korea that will offer green credits for consumers who embrace a low-carbon lifestyle. Credit cards have become more than a purchasing tool in South Korea, offering discounts on movies or food and freebies. Now a new government program will add energy consumption incentives to that list. You understand everything out there, everything they give you, including your credit cards, can be weaponized against you. And of course that's just coincidental, isn't it? This is indeed, according to a new 2011 policy, uh, plan announced by the Minister of Environment, buying eco-friendly products or living green in ways such as, you know, at one time if you turn green, you were going to throw up. Such as taking public transit by using a so-called green credit card will be good both for the environment and your wallet. And they just said that they're doubling the cost of traveling by train and bus in Britain. The credits can be redeemed for cash or be used to lower utility bills, it says here. Accumulating green credits does not sound bothersome at all, said Kim. So there you go. You know, simple little incentives like that. It worked with the stores, in grocery stores and department stores. Do you have our, our friendly customer card, sir, you know? Do you have our air miles card? So that, and that, that also, by the way, the air mail card in Canada, uh, which they use in grocery stores and they use in the liquor store, is also half-owned by the government. So they track every purchase that you make. Again, that's coincidental, though, isn't it? But folk pull them out all the time. I'm the odd person there. What they're really doing is punishing you if you use cash, making you pay the full price for something. And if you think things are bad, there's a lot worse to come. They've already announced, for instance, that phthalates and, and the bisphenol A and all the things that sterilize primarily males uh, are in your foods in so many different ways, but it's also in that clear wrapping they use for, for meats, etc., for those who still eat meat, um, it, it soaks through into the meat as well, just to make sure you get a good dose of it. Because they know all this. They knew this stuff back in the 1800s, what it did to, to, to males, by the way. They're going, they're going further. Never mind the fact what it's doing to us. Edible packaging is coming on the way, Right? 
It says that research groups and the food and pharmaceutical industries recognize edible packaging as a useful alternative or addition to conventional packaging to reduce waste, of course. I guess we just eat it when we're finished. And to create novel applications for improving product stability, quality, safety, variety, and convenience for customers. It's what we've all been craving is to eat the packaging, isn't it? Recent studies have explored the ability of biopolymer-based food packaging materials to carry and control release-active compounds. Do you want that in your food? Sounds awfully scientific. Science is good. Maybe we'll all want it. Hmm? As diverse edible packaging materials derived from various byproducts or waste from food industry are being developed, in other words, nothing is going to waste, including the packaging. You're going to eat it. The dry thermoplastic process is advancing rapidly as a feasible commercial edible packaging manufacturing process. The employment of nanocomposite concepts to edible packaging materials promises to improve barrier and mechanical properties and facilitate effective incorporation of bioactive ingredients and other design functions. By that's a mouthful, eh? It sounds awfully scientific. It must be. I should leave that decision up to specialists, eh? It's just too, too high falutin for me to understand here. In addi- and that's how it works for most folk. Oh, I can't understand. They must be right, though. In addition to the need for a more fundamental understanding to enable design uh, to um, desired specifications, edible packaging has to overcome challenges such as regulatory requirements, consumer acceptance. They'll get the consumers to eat it quite easily. They'll be on all the, you know, the, the fast food ads and everything, and little Johnny grabs it and guzzles it down and chomps away at the packaging and scaling up research concepts to commercial applications. So I'm not kidding you folks, you know, anything goes now as they go on a roll. And science is used for everything, as an excuse for everything. No experts say it. It must be true. The World Bank. Now, people don't know that most cities belong to uh, uh, an organization that's worldwide, and pretty well all the staff in the cities uh, it belongs to it as well. And at the head of it is the World Bank. And it's local governments for sustainability, it's called. It comes under the United Nations, but the World Bank is at the top of it. So it says here, cities crucial to climate change action. A report just released by the World Bank supports rapid, unified action from cities to counter the effect of climate change. I love how they changed it from, from warming to, to climate change, which just means changes in the weather, which happens all the time, but it covers all bases, doesn't it? It also indicates that cities are not waiting for action from national governments and fully appreciate the urgency of the world's climate change predicament. And it's true. You know, they don't bother with governments. They just bypass them, and the governments know what's happening, and they're quite happy because that's the agenda. And the, the mayors and, and councillors all join this, this group and sign their name to it and go ahead Regardless. And the World Bank gives you their website to download a brief PDM and so on. Off their new report, Cities in Climate Change are an Urgent Agenda. It's amazing, too, they want us all crammed in these falling apart cities for the next 50 years as we party away right into the old age home or euthanasia home, and, and then they won't have any problem with us because, as I say, we don't have children anymore. Many world cities, such as New York, Mexico City, Amman, and Sao Paulo, are not waiting for a comprehensive and global climate deal to emerge. They're already acting on climate change, says Andrew Steer, World Bank Special Envoy for Climate Change. 
in an article in the World Bank website. The report calls for collaborative action by cities and local government organizations such as ICLEI. That's a big, that's a name for this, this, the proper name for this organization. New partnerships are emerging. Amazing, everything's done through, through partnerships and charitable organizations and foundations, isn't it? They're emerging. United Nations Environmental Program, UN Habitat, and the World Bank have developed a joint work plan expressly to provide faster and more coordinated assistance to cities. And here's the guys who are now in charge. They've already got charge of dishing out the, 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 the lending to every country with the other little organization, their brother there, the IMF, or their gopher it might be called, and the World Bank. So they're, they're running their economy and whether you have money to, 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 to purchase food, for instance, or not, or starve to death. And, and here they are also running the environmental program. I think it stinks somehow, eh? Too much power in one, one little area here. It says the report pinpoints the recent signing of the Mexico City Pact, which includes a mayoral agreement. Your mayor's all signed it to report climate. That's Canada and the States. Um, data through the Carbon uh, Cities Climate Registry as a smart way forward for cities and highlight how, by working together, cities are able to move more quickly and more comprehensively as they address changes in the weather. Quite something. Quite something. And to do with communitarianism, as I say, people say, well, how can they introduce it? They'd have to go to work for years to work out all the things they'd have to do all the problems it would cause you should cram together and sharing a, maybe sharing a few apartments and one toilet and uh, one kitchen with maybe 20 families. And they've already suggested this happened, by the way, in Britain when Blair was in. And he cut back on different uh, benefits for people and so on and advocated the sharing of these apartments. Well, you see, they've already done it since 1919 in the Soviet Union. And I'll read how they did it there and what's coming your way. Maybe the youngsters won't mind with their little tweeters and so on going all the time. They'll be too occupied. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking about communitarianism and how everything's been done already. All the problems that, that, that will happen along the way with personality conflicts over, over who's going to use it, the, the bathroom at the right time, same time, or the kitchen and so on, or whose day it is to scrub the floors and the corridors, that's all been done. They've figured out all these ways for over many, many years in the Soviet Union. Remember, it's a Soviet socialist system we're in now, socialism. And it was, this article was written by Sandra Evans, who is a master's in, in Russian studies from the European University of St. Petersburg, Russia. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a social science uh, 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 paper that she put out there, and she gave it out at a school uh, under UNESCO and International Social Science Council, it says here. But she compares this, interestingly enough, with one of the privileged Systems in the states, because remember, it's to be, it's to be a, a system based on privilege. If you're more essential to the community, meaning a, 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 a worker for the government or whatever, uh, you get special privileges. And she compares these these living quarters with the gated communities of the U.S. primarily. 
to, because there, is, there are some similarities in some ways, but although one's higher class for, again, uh, wealthier people. This is for presenting two variations of community. I like to use a synchronous comparative analysis in order to highlight similarities, differences, and ambivalences within the context of postmodern modernity, I should say. The two types of living arrangements in question are the communalka. Communalka is a term they use in the Soviet system, or communal apartment. They're still using a lot in Russia, and uh, China, I should say, which was the prevalent living arrangement in the urban spaces of the Soviet Union, where a number of families lived together in common living quarters, sharing a kitchen, a toilet, a bathroom. Eventually they got bathrooms in the 50s, I think, and Two, gated communities, a widespread phenomenon on the current American real estate landscape where groups of homeowners share common facilities and are subject to stringent rules and regulations behind walls, often protected by security guards. That's the gated communities. While these two variations of community on different continents and different cultures at different times in history with different backgrounds and reasons for existing might at first seem unrelated and thus unfit for comparison, they do have some common denominators that make comparison a nonetheless interesting and valuable exercise. And then she goes through some of them too, because it's to do with duties, you see. Both of them have duties. And in these gated communities, for instance, if the, if, if the order is that all doors must be painted green and not just any green but this green, then, then you get fined massive amounts of money if they're not. And maybe you return in some of them to mow the grass, the lawn, stuff like that. It's to do with duties. And then she goes through the, more to do with um, the, even moral codes come down with it. This is quite a nice little study she did here. Because it changes your behavior when you're crammed together with people. You have a common code so they can all coexist together. And different living arrangements. This is based on these commonalities that were briefly introduced both types of communities within their historical settings. And in conclusion, we'll analyze them considering their present day implications. And the implications are communitarianism. She doesn't mention it here, but that's why the study's done, obviously. I'm sure there's hundreds of others doing and have been doing for many, many years the same studies for what's to come in this wonderful new communal living system of interdependency that we've all to go through very shortly because of all the incredible crises we're having, one after another, for goodness sake. But there's no time to read it all. I'll put these links up on my site, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, tonight. So have a look at them. Give me an hour or so to start uploading, or to get them the first one up there. And I'll see you tomorrow from Hamish Myself, Frontier Canada. It's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.